If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. The good news is that by focusing on on just doing what's right in terms of the people who are catching our fish, doing right by them actually does right by, by the sea. How is overfishing tied to human trafficking and slavery at sea? What is fish laundering and how can we support more transparency and traceability in our complex global seafood supply chain? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons and Buffy, which makes betting that's earth-friendly and cruelty-free. Its newest comforter is called The Breeze, made 100% from eucalyptus fiber to regulate temperature and to keep us cool and comfortable all night long. More on that later along with a discount code, but for now, to our conversation with Shannon Service, an award-winning independent filmmaker and reporter who first broke the story of slavery at sea on NPR in 2012. Her latest feature document is called Ghost Fleet, which follows up on this topic and for which she set sail with a Thai abolitionist who was scouring remote islands for slaves who've jumped ship. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. My background is as a journalist, and I worked on a story for National Public Radio with a woman named Becky Palmstrom. She had lived in Myanmar for several years and had heard that men were disappearing from villages and from cities and they weren't coming back. And there wasn't really great media on it or a lot of accurate information, but it, it, they were speculating that the men were disappearing onto Thai fishing boats. So she and I got together and we did some research and there was one report out by the International Organization on Migration and we contacted the author. Phil Robertson found out that it was in fact happening, was happening on a huge scale and uh, that the fish was coming to the US and Europe. So we contacted National Public Radio and and pitched the story to them and, and they said yes. So we spent six months investigating it and in 2012 did a 15-minute long radio documentary on Morning Edition. 
And along the way, we traveled throughout Southeast Asia to Cambodia, Myanmar, Thailand, where a lot of the men are, are trafficked out of those countries. And then they were jumping ship in Malaysia and Indonesia. And so we followed that entire route, gathering evidence, figuring out exactly how it was happening, who knew about it, who was complicit, rough approximations of how many people. And honestly, I just felt I fell deeply in love with the men. I mean, they're just incredible human beings who each of them have gone on some absolutely epic journey, not of their own making, but managed to, to jump ship and get back home to their families. So it's pretty clear that it needed more attention, but also that it could certainly prop up a, a film, if not a bunch of films. <laughs> mm. What was the most significant or eye-opening thing you learned throughout this journey? Because it sounds like there really wasn't a lot of information prior to you digging this up. So what was the most eye-opening thing that you learned along the way? I think the, the most surprising thing during the filming was how many men we encountered who wanted to go home, whose families, because they'd been away for 10 years or 20 years, their families thought they were dead. They weren't able to contact them. They were living, you know, in some pretty remote area of Indonesia. And Patma and Tan Lin, our main heroes, would find them and ask them if they wanted to go home. And the majority couldn't. So they were really upset about it, but they didn't have a passport when they were abducted. They now had wives and kids in, in this new location. They jumped ship so long ago that they basically become part of a whole new community. We met one guy who actually forgot how to speak Burmese. So when Patama offered to take a video of him and take it to his family in Myanmar and show them that he's still alive, he had to do it in Bahasa or Thai because he mm. actually forgot how to speak his, his original language. So... I was pretty surprised by that, to be honest. Um, I just hadn't really thought about it. So that was, yeah, that was definitely a, a, a new thing for me, even after having worked on this issue for five years. Mm. And this is all showcased and a part of your latest feature documentary called Ghost Fleet, which is about slavery at sea and for which, like you said, you set sail with a Thai abolitionist as you scoured remote islands for slaves who've jumped ships to learn their stories. Can you walk us through how exactly this happened to begin with? So how does the fisherman trafficking happen in practice? Sure. So the, the big context is that Thailand has one of the largest fishing fleets in the world, and they've cleared out the Gulf of Thailand. So boats that used to go out for just a few days or weeks, you know, maybe a month and come back full, now are actually chasing fish all over the world. So overfishing is really crashing populations everywhere, but particularly lucrative species like tuna. So now these boats are going as far away as Somalia, Madagascar, you know, southern Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, thousands and thousands of miles away. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense for those boats, economically it doesn't make a ton of sense for those boats to go out, find fish, and then drive all the way back to Thailand, drop it off, go all the way back out. So they actually developed a, a system of motherships or shuttle boats that bring the ice, the men, the supplies out to the fishing boats and then bring the fish back, which means all of this means that the boats are now gone for years, sometimes decades. Thai fishermen didn't want to be away so long. They wanted more family-friendly work. So they started leaving the sector in droves. And instead of correcting the conditions, paying more, making it 
better to live on board, uh, flying men home, any of the sort of labor-friendly solutions to this problem. Instead, captains and companies started buying men off of human trafficking gangs a couple of decades ago. And so far, we think there's been in the tens, probably hundreds of thousands of men who've been forced on board these boats. So the ways that they're trafficked vary. Often they're tricked. So somebody in Cambodia or Myanmar will be told by a local trafficker, hey, I know you're looking for some some temporary work. Why don't you come with me over the border to Thailand where you can make a lot more because the Thai bot is a lot stronger and you can go home whenever you want. We have work for you on a pig farm or on a inside a factory. And once they're over the border, they don't speak the language. They don't have a passport. They're totally vulnerable. Often they're, they're held at gunpoint and then they're forced on board the boat. Other men, particularly in Thailand, will walk into a bar or a brothel and their, their drink is spiked and they wake up on board a boat. Yet other men who are fishermen will be brought onto the boat and the captain will say, well, we actually are going to be sending the money directly to your family. We don't pay you on board. And so the guy will be out for 10 years fishing, thinking his family's being taken care of. And when he goes home, his family says, where's the money? And he says, what do you mean? So there's a whole number of ways that it, that it happens. Mm. So would you say this is a relatively new issue? Or what is it that allowed this to happen? There's a number of ways to answer that. I think this particular issue in terms of slavery on Thai fishing boats is at least 24 years old. And we know that because, well, 25 years old, we know that because we met a guy who was gone for 24 years. Um, so it, it's at least as old as that. But another way to answer the question is that there are more more people enslaved in, in forced labor situations today than ever before. So there's, you know, there's something in our, in our economic system that encourages this. And I think personally, as supply chains become longer, as the disconnect becomes greater between those of us who have the luxury of buying products and those who are forced into conditions to make the products, as that disconnect is, is greater, this is happening more and more. So there's something very fundamental just about, you know, our humanity and how we're organizing ourselves in inside of our economy that needs a really deep look. Because while this particular practice and this particular fishing fleet might only be a couple of decades old, this is a persistent and pernicious problem. Mm. It's only been accelerating. And on your website, it says that the country's giant fishing fleet is chronically short of up to 60,000 fishermen per year, leaving captains scrambling to find crew. And this is in part driving the need for them to continue this human trafficking to get fishermen on board. Why do they need to force labor to do it? Is there not enough money in the industry to be able to properly hire fishermen through pay? It's a complicated problem. So because of overfishing, it all goes back to overfishing. Mm. Because of overfishing, there's so few fish that the boats have to go far chasing fish. And that means more fuel costs. It means more time on the water for less fish. There's a bunch of hard costs, the upkeep of the boat, all of the associated sort of expenses with running a fishing company, all of those you can't really change. Um, so you're chasing less, fewer fish for more time. And as they fish more and more, that problem becomes greater. So the one place that a lot of captains and, and owners have decided they can save um, 
is in labor. So I think companies would say, hey, this is a really tough industry. Uh, it's becoming harder and harder. This practice isn't something we necessarily support, but you have to understand that labor is sort of the one the one place that we can actually make ourselves viable. So that's a lot of the things that they would say. And on the other hand, it, it's just not good enough. <laughs> um, yeah. If it, we need to have the same standards for labor practices on boats that we have on land, and if they can't get men on board boats legally without resorting to trafficking and drugging and kidnapping, you know, then there needs to be a real reexamination of, of, of the industry. So, you know, from my point of view, if they were to instead focus on uh, making sure that immigrant fishermen have safe, easy, good access to the boats, that they're protected, that they're paid well, that the labor conditions on board are good. If they do the same for, for Thai fishermen, make sure that they can get home to their families. All of that should just be built in. And if you can't afford to run a boat, doing it legally and above board and, and treating your men and your boys well, ideally men, um, <laughs> then, uh, then you shouldn't be fishing. So that's what we're asking of industry and of the international community. Thailand is taking steps in the right direction to start doing that, which is really great and encouraging. And we definitely would like to see more of that. Unfortunately, though, there's such a big fleet and they've had such a huge effect on the market that now we're seeing forced labor and slavery happening in, in other parts of the world as well. Same kind of conditions, right? So as overfishing is depleting the ocean of fish and boats and, and companies are looking around and saying, well, you know, if Thailand can get away with it, maybe we can. So it's having kind of this race to the bottom effect in the fishing fleet around the world. So it's a big problem. And the only ways that we can correct it really are to start demanding the same kinds of labor conditions and production and protections for people who are working at sea as people who are working on land, which also means making sure that we have people actually checking ports, checking boats, enforcing the laws that are on the books. So it's not often companies will say, oh, you know, it's governance, it's governance. And it's like, well, we actually have a lot of laws mm. that we could use. We're just not enforcing them. And the laws themselves could also be better. So we do already have laws and regulations over our vast international waters. Well, those are changing right now, and hopefully for the better, we'll see. But the, the truth is that the international law of the sea is really outdated mm. and is in desperate need of, of being brought up to date. I mean, over the course of the last century, we've seen an, an industrial revolution on the water. So boats, huge, huge boats that are city block long that are just clearing out the seas with very little regulation or oversight, or, you know, we have this issue of transshipment and, and shuttle boats that are often covering up crimes at sea, because once you have a shuttle boat that goes to multiple boats catching, um, taking the fish back, it, it's kind of like fish laundering. It's very hard to, to know which mm. fish came from which boat and where that boat went. You know, enforcement is notoriously hard because the ocean is so large. And there's not honestly a lot of political industry will to stop it. So that's what we're hoping, you know, will start changing. And one of the things that slavery does and forced labor does is it brings to bear a whole other set of law and of people who care about this issue. So there are stronger 
international treaties and international legal standards around forced labor and slavery than there are currently around overfishing or, or monitoring boats. So we're trying to bring those things together because basically, you know, in the end, the same thing that you need to stop overfishing is what you need to stop slavery. So if you're going to try to stop forced labor and slavery at sea, you need to have much, much better and tighter control of ports, knowing exactly which boats are there. The film is called Ghost Fleet because a lot of boats just paint some random name on the side of the boat mm. and or they just, you know, they they'll have one number one fishing license, which, you know, you paint that number on the side of your boat, but then 10 boats will use it. So it's a total free for all. And in order to stop human trafficking, you need a much, much tighter grip on what's happening in the ports. What are the actual names of the boats? Do they have licenses? What's the name of the captain? Have you verified that? What's the name of the crew? Is it really the crew? Or have they been handed fake Siemens books? And once you have that level of control trying to stop trafficking, it's much easier than to also um, start checking the fish. Mm -hmm. So the, the bad news is, you know, trafficking at sea and how horrible it is. Uh, but the good news is that by focusing on on just doing what's right in terms of the people who are catching our fish, doing right by them actually does right by by the sea because it's it's much harder to go around the world stealing other nations' fish and basically, you know, flouting international regulations around how much fish to, to catch. Uh, it's much harder to do that if you have to actually have the proper name on the boat, enforcement in port. So, I mean, this topic, human trafficking and overfishing, it's a really heavy-hearted subject that can be really hard to comprehend and process, especially when you're personally getting to know the stories of individuals who've gone through this. What is it that keeps you going? And is there a specific story of liberation that inspires you and offers a glimmer of hope? Yeah, there are many. In fact, everybody I interviewed really offers a lot of hope. The two stories are, are the stories that we chose to focus on. One is the story of Patima Tumpushiakol, who is the, the abolitionist who um, herself has helped rescue over 5,000 men from different areas where um, they've become trapped after they jump ship. She really just does it on her own, on a, on a shoestring budget a lot of the time. Sometimes there are other organizations that are working on this, and sometimes she participates in bigger rescues with them. But really, she just kind of has decided that this is what she's going to do, and she keeps doing it day after day, year after year, and has had an, an incredible effect, um, not just on the lives of over 5,000 men, but on bringing this issue to the international community. So she is a, a constant inspiration for me. And the other one is Tun Lin, who's also featured in the film. He was enslaved for 11 years himself, lost four fingers on the boat, you know, just mind-numbingly horrible conditions, jump ship, was found by Patima, brought home to his family, but now he works with her to go back to the areas where he was enslaved to find other men and help bring them home. And even beyond that, he is now working with another survivor, Chirot, to lead uh, what's essentially a union of fishermen, survivors of forced labor, immigrant fishermen, and Thai fishermen, and to try to improve conditions and strengthen protections for all fishermen in Thailand. So it's a very redemptive and holistic approach to the whole situation. So I've been very lucky and honored to work with them on this film for the last seven years. Um, 
and have learned a ton from them and, and I'm inspired by them all the time. Mm. And seeing to that, we do have a global fishing industry where today consumers are probably very disconnected from the source of where their seafood comes from if they eat seafood. And like you said, there's fish laundering. So it's even harder to tell. How can we improve transparency and traceability in the industry so that at least people know where their seafood comes from? It's a really good question. There are a number of groups working on that. And, you know, in an ideal world, we'll we'll be able to start seeing some stickers on fish and fish products in the near future that assure customers that what they're buying is free of forced labor and slavery. So there are a number of different groups, including the Monterey Bay Aquarium, that are working on that. uh, And that's incredibly important. But in the meantime, you know, what we're missing is consumer pressure. So industry is aware of this. There's a number of big supermarkets, for example, and companies have been implicated in this who are now working to try to change it, but they're missing the the information from customers that says, hey, we know about this and we care about it. So something as simple as just asking where the fish comes from is actually incredibly powerful right now because we are starting kind of at the ground level on this in terms of consumer awareness and pressure. So that's an incredibly important step that you can take. On our website, gosleet.com, there's a place to uh, sign up for a very low traffic email list that will be targeted specifically to actions that people can take at specific moments to help change this. And we'll also help them know, you know, once some of these certification schemes come online, what they are and, and, and how to how to look for them. But ultimately, you know, for me personally, I try to think about fish in the same way I've learned to think about things like organic apples or grass-fed beef. We ask a lot of other products, like I know that this apple is biodynamic and it was grown in New Zealand. And I I get a lot of information about apples and about chicken, you know, whether it's free range or pasture raised. We have almost no information most of the time about fish. So in an ideal world, asking those questions and then also trying as much as possible to eat locally and seasonally abundant fish would make a huge difference, not just for your diet, it's much healthier generally, but also for your local fishing community, if you have a local fishing community, and also for the planet and for uh, laborers at sea. And is shopping at farmer's markets a pretty safe bet? in terms of getting locally caught seafood, or are there certain certifications that we can trust today? Anytime you're looking a a person in the eye and they're saying, I caught this fish, I mean, that's fantastic. So if you're at a farmer's market and and you're talking to the person who who caught the fish, or if they know exactly who caught the fish, you're doing well. So, you know, that's that's fantastic. There's also fish CSAs. So community-supported agriculture uh, has been around for, for quite a bit of time, and this takes the concept to fish. So Almost no matter where you are, you can contact a fish CSA and have fresh, locally, sustainably caught fish del- delivered to your to your door. So that's become something that we've seen up and down the West Coast, East Coast. And, um, and also there are places, a couple of them that will deliver almost anywhere in the country. So that's, you know, those are a little, obviously they're, they're more expensive. They're more kind of harder solutions for a lot of people. But the other thing to consider is just reducing the amount of fish in one's diet and trying to trying to eat fish whose origins 
you know. Mm. Those are major steps that that we can we can all take that actually have positive impacts for the industry and also often for our health. And finally, for those that may not even eat seafood or for people that want to support activism beyond their purchases, what else can we do to support a more sustainable and more just fishing industry? A lot of it comes down to, you know, consumer behavior and asking where your fish comes from. That really is number one. Mm -hmm. Number two would be to support Patima and her organization of fishermen who are fighting for just sustainable livelihoods, not just for themselves, but for for fishermen throughout Thailand and and who are speaking on an international stage about this. So there's a a website that they have called WeSaveOurSons.org. Making a donation to their organization goes a really, really long way. And the final thing is to go to GoSweet.com and sign up to become better informed or also check out the teaser for the film and in an ideal world, consider posting it to social media. Uh, We have a a 20 city theatrical release coming up in June. So the more people who see the film and start asking these questions, the quicker we're going to see change and, and better conditions for men on board the boat and healthier and safer oceans for us all. Before we go into our final five, here's a bit more about our sponsor. Buffy's new comforter, The Breeze, is hypoallergenic and 100% plant-based and cruelty-free, which means no down, no polyester, but made entirely from eucalyptus fiber, which uses 10 times less water than cotton to grow and in bed, helps us to stay cozy without overheating. I'm actually trying it myself right now. It is super soft, and personally, I do prefer natural fibers for things that come into contact with my skin, so this is definitely a winner for me. If you're interested, you can try one in your own bed for free, and if you don't love it, you can return it at no cost. For $20 off your Buffy comforter, visit Buffy.co and enter your discount code GREENDREAMER. Again, that's B-U-F-F-Y dot C-O and GREENDREAMER for $20 off. For now, to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow? Yes, magazine. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? Honestly, just love, love, love for this planet. Hmm. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? More sleep. What's one thing you're working on to live more sustainably? Curbing my desire for stuff and looking at its origins. What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? People under 25. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? This is a tough time to be living in for a number of reasons, particularly if you're environmentally aware. But it's so much more fun to be on the side of justice and dreaming. The people are amazing. And otherwise, it's it's very easy just to succumb to despair. It's so much more fun to be on this side of justice and dreaming. So keep at it, Green Dreamer, and thank you for your continued dedication to realizing a better world, and also thank you sincerely to our listener patrons for your support. It would be an honor to have you join me on Patreon and in our network as well if you're not yet there, so if you're a regular listener or if Green Dreamer has inspired you in any way, you can now support the show and get access to bonus content starting at $1 per month. Thank you so much for your consideration, and regardless, thank you for being here and for 
for continuing to tune in, talk about it with your friends, and just your support for my work and for this podcast. For more information on becoming a patron, just head to greendreamer.com support. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.